So St. Paul said, love is patient, love is kind. And for those of us who are here, we spent two weeks in June exploring these definitions of patience and kindness. And we discovered that what Paul meant by patient and kind is far more involved than the way we understand patience and kindness. It has a lot more to do than just dealing with spilt milk, etc. For Paul and other writers of the New Testament, patient and kind carry the vast sense of loving even our enemies with, without prejudice and with great restraint, enduring even the worst of sufferings, and giving selflessly even to those who can give nothing back. In the end, patience and kindness are nothing short of the very power that God used to save the world. I think St. Paul must have been very familiar with this parable of the weeds, for it is all about the patience and kindness of God. Now, I know it doesn't exactly read like that at first. I understand when you first read that. In fact, I'm sure as the scripture was being read this morning, Tito was sitting there finally. David's always cramming grace down our throat. We're going to get some good old-fashioned judgment out of him, finally. Um, but while it may at first sound like human justice and a formula for taking care of those lousy, good-for-nothing weeds and making the field safe for the good guys, almost heard Jack Nicholson, right? Tito, you need me on the weed machine. That's exactly what he would have said. But it's not about that. It's about something decidedly different. However, I need to make a qualifier this morning, and this is important. To really do this parable and the context that we find it in, the entire passage that it's in, it would take about six weeks. So, I have to ask you for your patience and a little bit of trust. Today, we're just going to spend two weeks on this parable. We're going to talk today what I believe the thrust of the parable is, and then the next time together we're going to look at why practically that makes sense and what it looks like. But I'm not going to be able to support my argument like I would have to with six weeks. So try not to get distracted by what I don't say, which meaning I'm going to say some things and it's easy to go, but it said this and it said this, what about that? Those that are interested, I'll send you the entire study that I did to get to this place, okay? I'm not pulling this conclusion out of the hat. I believe scripturally, contextually, and within the parable itself, it supports this. So, here we go. See, the farmer says, right here, he's asked, should, what should we do with the weeds? Should we rip the weeds up? And he says, no, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And this original word here, apieme, is the key to the entire parable. Okay? It is the answer Jesus gave to what we should do, what we should do about evil, and it was radically different than anything the people in his day expected him to say. This is another one of the reasons why he ended up getting crucified as, as, as he must not be the Messiah, because he said things like this. And I think it's different than what we even expect God to say about what we should do about evil. But remember, Jesus tells parables. Why? to call into question all of our previously held understandings of God. And any understanding of God's character that looks like human nature probably should be the first understandings to get called into question. Remember, we are made in the image of God. The opposite of that is not true. 
though we love to make God in our image, it's not true. We're made in His image. And grace and forgiveness that were born in divine love, this is what saved the world, not any form of human justice and judgment. Okay? So, I, is it... Alex, you look freezing. Is it really cold? you want me? No, I just... I just you sure? Take it on, take it off. All right, you sure? Yeah. Anyone else? Everyone else is fine? All right, because I can turn that up a bit, that air conditioning. All right, sorry about that. So listen, here we go. If we turn to Matthew chapter 6 and read the Lord's Prayer, we have the exact same word. Allow, afeme, both to grow together until the harvest. That's from our parable. Go over to the Lord's Prayer, which most of us know, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Exact same word. Afeme. So, a good question is, why the translation into allow, or some versions have let, and not into forgive? Well, first of all, it's not an incorrect translation. All right? We could spend half the morning exploring the development of the Greek word, and then look at how it was translated into multiple Latin words, and then we could talk about how those Latin words gave birth to English words, and then we could talk about how a lot of English words don't mean what today what they meant back then, but that's an incredibly boring thing unless you're a word geek like I am. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to spend that time. Everyone will be sleeping by the time I got done to how that came up. Instead, I want to approach this from a totally different angle. Okay? Here's the question. Are these two words really that different? <clears throat> Are allow and forgive really that different? Let me try to explain. I am sure, sure you have heard someone say, or maybe you yourself have said, something like this. We can't just let people do whatever they want. We can't allow people to sin. As Christians, we need to keep people in line and make sure they know there are severe consequences for their actions. Otherwise, they're just going to keep on sinning. Surely forgiveness is not allowing a person to keep on sinning. God doesn't want us to keep sinning. Okay, We've all heard that, I'm sure, especially if we were brought up in church. Maybe some of us say it. Maybe some of us, some of us even think it. Well, first of all, the parable is not about God wanting us to sin or not. Obviously, God doesn't want us to sin. Sin kills us. It kills our neighbors. Sin ultimately killed God. Of course, he doesn't want us to sin. The, however, the parable is about what God does with sin and what he wants us to do with it. Allow it. Forgive Okay? And I believe there is very little difference between these two words, allow and forgive, which is why I think this is a perfectly fair translation of the original. Consider this. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive someone? Okay? So Peter said, Jesus, how many times do we forgive my brother? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. This is a euphemism for, Peter, you never stop forgiving. Okay? So in their day and culture, this is important to understand, if you forgave someone three times, you fulfilled the law. The law required that you forgive someone three times if they betrayed you or hurt you in, in the same way. If you forgave seven times, which is Peter was getting at, you're basically on the level of the saint. 
And Jesus turns around and says, no, there, there's no number. You always forgive. Okay, so here's the question. If you tell someone you're going to forgive them, no matter how many times they hurt you, isn't that the same thing as allowing them to hurt you? Isn't it? It is. I know that's not the point of forgiveness. I know that. I know we forgive to bring reconciliation and hopefully an end to the sinning against us. God forgives us to hopefully bring reconciliation in the end of our sinning. But the fact remains, some people will always take advantage of true forgiveness. Because true forgiveness never stops forgiving. Isn't that the scandal of the gospel? This is the scandal that kept so many people from recognizing Jesus as God then, and I think it continues to keep so many people from recognizing Jesus as God now. In fact, that's what this film, in some level, that film, The American Jesus, the documentary that Form is going to show is all about, is that we've created this entire new Jesus that's really not in the Bible because we don't like forgiveness. See, the cross, at some level, allows everything. Not because God wants us to keep sinning, but because the cross declares that sin is forgiven. Past, present, and future sin is forgiven. The cross announces that God took the punishment for sin for everyone, and nothing is ever going to change. That's what the cross says. Here's how K-Pong puts it. On the basis of Jesus' ministry as risen Savior, there is no change in that policy. He comes forth from the tomb and ascends into heaven with nail prints in his hands and feet and a spear wound in his risen side with eternal glorious scars to remind God, angels, and us that he is not to go back on his word from the cross. I love that. God didn't hang on the cross and say, oh, wait till I come back. You're all dead. That's what Arnold Schwarzenegger does. <laughs> God doesn't do that. Unfortunately, we have put Arnold on the cross and a lot of other Hollywood heroes on the cross. I've even seen t-shirts about the second coming with Jesus riding a white horse and holding AK-47s. Really? That's not what happened at the cross. At the cross, Jesus forgave the very men hammering nails into him without any promise of coming back and setting things straight. He set it straight. He forgave them, and he's not going back on that word. That is why it's called the gospel. The good news. It's good news. Because as long as we are growing in the field, God will allow us to be there, no matter what we do. And God's answer to what we should do with evil is the same. We should forgive it. Of course, 
that is so much easier to say than do. Right? Forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have someone to forgive as C.S. Lewis. But here's how I think we can start forgiving. By recognizing that we can be as much of a weed as the next guy. That's where it has to begin. And we need forgiveness. Remember, it's never a good idea to compare sins. We love to do that as humans, but it's never a good idea. It is very true that the married man sleeping with his secretary is going to hurt a lot more people than our lust for our secretary. But it's all sin. And it all needs forgiven. And it all put God on the cross. So it's never a good idea to start comparing sins. Recognizing that we can be as much of a weed as the next guy, then allowing God to forgive. Allowing God to forgive us. And really trust that he has. There's, there's the key. That's the rub. Now I know everyone needs, tends to think, oh, I trust that. I trust God forgives me. Okay, but if we find ourselves unable to forgive others then perhaps we have not really entered into the amazingness of God's forgiveness for us. Jerry Sitzer explains the conundrum this way. The radical commitment of God toward us is foundational. Now, the radical commitment of God toward us, that's God's righteousness. Remember, we've talked about this a lot at camp. In Scripture, the definition of righteousness is about relationship and right relationship and loyalty and long-suffering. God never turns his back on us. He died for us. There is he's righteous. That's his radical commitment. It's foundational because it puts sin and guilt in its proper perspective. Not that we should treat sin more lightly, but we should view God as being greater than our sin. That's so important. People will often criticize me, but David, you just talk about God's grace and mercy and his forgiveness. Yeah, because it's, it's a bigger deal than human sin. If we're going to focus on human sin, guess where we're headed? What's the point of focusing on human sin and, and other people's sin and our own sin? Focus on what's greater. What's greater? We usually do just the opposite, Sitzer continues. Too often we say to ourselves, if God only knew what I was really like, or what a lot of us do with, if God only knew what they are really like. <laughs> right? We're so good at that. Usually right after repeating a sin we have committed a hundred times before, or they've committed a hundred times before, well, they can't possibly be forgiven by God anymore. They've done that a hundred times. We cannot believe that, a God is that God is loyal even after we have done such terrible deeds or caressed such ugly thoughts. But God is loyal. For that is what being patient and kind means. Loyal. And he won't turn our back. I think we have trouble believing this. I know I have trouble believing this. Because we do not remain loyal to those who hurt us. We don't. Someone hurts us enough and we're done. Done. But God does remain loyal. He does keep forgiving. He does allow both to grow together until the harvest. And if we really believe that God is loyal to us, really believe that he forgives us, 
no matter what, I think we'll be able to start forgiving others. Because accepting forgiveness is a sign of humility. And humility is where forgiveness for others can be born. That's the cross after all, isn't it? God humbling himself. Oh, forgot that screen. But the cross. God humbling himself unto death to forgive us. That's humility. So here's a simple suggestion to help us start moving into a life of being kind and patient. We need to stop weeding. We need to let go of the weeds. You know, I often have called in the past, God's a little bit of a mad hatter. And if any of you are gardeners, this is what I mean about him being a mad hatter. No gardener doesn't weed. But in God's kingdom, you don't weed. Donnie Miller says it this way. Forgiveness is taking your hands off the other person's neck. It's a process of uncurling your fingers, of relinquishing your right for vengeance. There will always be weeds among the wheat. We must daily choose to forgive the evil. You know, on our Forgiveness Sunday that we just had a few weeks ago, that's the, this is where that sort of our exercise comes from. You know, we put that name of the person we need to forgive tight in our hands. And, and that's that clenching of their neck because you want to just wring their neck and, and take vengeance. And then you, we, we put our hands in water and we slowly release it. We need to stop weeding. If we stop weeding, I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to forgive. And I think we can because many, many people before us have done it. I've talked here a number of times about the Amish response to the murder of their daughters. Remember a number of years ago, a man went into one school, a one-room schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, and he killed a lot of young girls. And then he killed himself. And the, the Amish response to that was pure divine, purely Christ-like. It was amazing. There's one part of that story that doesn't get told a lot, but it, it, it's, it's central to the whole response of the Amish, and, 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 and this is it. The family of the man who killed the girls, his wife and her parents, they had a funeral for him, of course. They, they loved him. Donnie Miller, journalist, who just had that other quote, he, he writes this about what happened at that funeral. Just as the funeral was about to begin, a procession of black buggies and horses came up to the church. Men in dark suits and black hats and ladies in long black dresses and white bonnets walked up to the church and stood alongside the mourning family. The Amish went to the funeral of the man who killed their daughter. That is patient and kind. That is suffering evil. That is allowing the weeds to grow up in the field. And that is sharing the invitation to receive God's forgiveness. And that 
is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Might we join in that kind of witness? Peace as a loose, as a shadow.